Hello, and welcome to episode seven of Just Another History Podcast. I'm Evan Norville. And I'm Dylan Colucci. And we are your hosts. Uh, you can find Dylan on Instagram at Dylan Colucci. That's all one word spelled Dylan with a Y, C-O-L-U-C-C-I. And you can find me on Instagram at Evan underscore Norville. That's Evan underscore N-O-R-V-E-L-L. And you can find the Just Another History Podcast on Instagram at Just Another History Podcast with underscores between each word. So guys, in today's episode, we will begin a multi-episode series on my personal favorite subject, the American Civil War. Today, we'll be setting the stage for the episodes to come by discussing Manifest Destiny, America's expanding borders, and the many compromises of the pre-Civil War America. We've got a lot to cover, so let's jump right now. So, Dylan, uh, it's good to have you back in person. Yeah, it's good. Last episode, you were on the telephone. So I I bet the audio is going to sound a lot better. Yeah, I feel like this will be way better. Probably so. (laughs) So Dylan, uh, you know, I kind of feel like if we're going to have any kind of discussion about this time period in American history, the ideology of Manifest Destiny must be kind of, you know, acknowledged and discussed. So because of this, I'd like for you to uh, give us a simple definition to start. Yeah, sure. So uh, the, the way that I like to think about Manifest Destiny is it was an ideal you know, kind of like a thought sure. process. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to think of it as is the, is the thought process or like ideal that uh, the United States was basically destined by God to expand across the continent. We you know as a country, we were, sure. you know, essentially it was God's plan for us to go all the way to, you know, coast to coast and sure whatever happened along the way to make, you know, whatever they had to do to make that happen was, was okay. It was okay because it was manifest destiny. You sure. Know? Sure. I got you. And so <clears throat> that term was coined in like 1845. So they haven't always had a term for that, but there's yeah. always been kind of an American uh, ideal of westward expansion. You know, you can see that from the colonial days, you know, they drew the line at the Appalachian mountains and they were like, Hey guys, don't, 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 go, <laughs> don't go West. Yeah. And then the, all the sellers were like, no, you know, so that's like, like we're going west, we're going west. And so the American, it's almost as like it's an American identity to just travel west to expand what, you know? Yeah. And so whether good or bad, and there are many effects of manifest destiny. I have two in mind myself, mainly I think of the subjugation of native cultures and of uh, Mexican cultures. Yeah. You know, you think of all the uh, Native <clears throat> Americans that, quote, stood in the way, you know, weren't really in the way, obviously, but to, to, to the settlers at the time, you know, trying to push them out the way. And the same thing, you know, in the, quote, you know, you think of the Wild West, you had the Mexicans who were living there, they were pushed out as well. So that's that's one of the main things I think about. Yeah, that's kind of what I think about. Like, that's the kind of stuff that, like, the whole calling everything manifest destiny was just really just a word that they used to sweep a bunch of terrible things under the rug and yeah, say it was okay. That. You know, mm-hmm. like, okay, well this is, we are destined. God has ordained us, ordained to us to do this, you know, so yeah. it's okay. You know? Yeah. My man, in my mind, they were there. I'm sure they had three goals. Their main goals are probably Christianity, democracy, and, and a, uh, capitalism. They were trying to spread those th- yeah, ideologies. Pretty much. You know? Uh, and then, you know, when I think of manifest destiny, even though, 
this happened before that specific phrase was actually sure coined. You know, I like to think like Louisiana Purchase. Mm. You okay. know, because that was like a huge chunk of land that was bought, mm. uh, and it like doubled the size of the country. It did literally just immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, you had a lot of land, and that was, you know, they expanded westward. They expanded. You know, from pretty much what is now Mexico and what is now Canada, like the borders. The borders, yeah. Uh, Let's talk about that for a little bit. So that actually, you're, you're right. So from where Louisiana is, <clears throat> modern day Louisiana, all the way north to Canada, we actually bought some of it spilled over into modern day Canada. Obviously, we don't have that land. Yeah, today. no more. But and then it went, you know, from basically the Mississippi River west to modern day Colorado. Yeah, that's a large chunk of land. That's 828,000 square miles. Yeah, it's a lot to of put land. that in perspective. And it was purchased in 1803 for the ripe uh, price of $15 million, which seems so funny to me. Yeah. You're which... going to get 828,000 square miles for $15 million, which is roughly $18 per square, square mile. Yeah. See that? Which could you think of doing that now? The price of land. Yeah. Being in like the modern era. I don't know how much, but yeah, it's crazy. I've done the calculations before when I was, I was teaching a eighth grade class oh, yeah? at a local high school. And, uh, I did the calculation. Of course, I can't remember. It was it was mainly, it was like three cents an acre or something. Then we oh, went wow. in and we yeah. yeah, and then we went <clears> in and I we kind of their big thing was like they want to incorporate different subjects, you know. And so I was like, here, let's do math, you know. And I basically we converted it to today's dollars, and it was like billions and billions. So in this time, this was a great deal of money. Oh yeah, for sure. But to us in the modern era, it's like, hmm, okay, <laughs> it's <laughs> like know? okay, yeah. But yeah, you're right. This doubled the size of the uh, United States as we knew it at the time. Right. Yeah. And it kind of strengthened our country. If you want to think of it in a way, uh, two ways I think about is the uh, materials, right? You think of all the things that were <clears throat> discovered uh, within the Louisiana purchase. So you have, you have a, all these virgin forests. Yeah. A lot of natural resources, natural resources, uh, you know, and like, all these, uh, you know, mega, uh, all these fauna, you know, and stuff like that. And so you're thinking of all animal, plants, tree. I mean, you've got all this stuff going on and the stuff under the surface, you know, that, that was found, you know. So anyway, the, what, the point I'm trying to get to is this piece of land has paid dividends on itself. Oh, yeah. Since time was, and time again. Right. Since it was first purchased. And so and then secondly, I think it was a nice strategic purchase. Uh because you're kind of solidifying your grasp, you know, your, your border at this time kind of stopped <clears throat> in the sea river, yeah. which is like a super highway at the time. And then it's just kind of like, well, yeah. we got the land on this side of it now. So it's kind of like you so you, you control it. that basically. Right. Yeah. And I think it's pretty cool uh, to think, I mean, you know, at the time this was what, 1803, right. this happened. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at the country is basically 30 years old. Yeah. Uh, so they're like, <laughs> brand, you know, like, <laughs> Brand new country, uh, and I can imagine they were probably part partially just scrambling to definitely kind of you know make a reputation for themselves yeah. and like you know need this land uh, and you almost know, as a way to like prove themselves. You know, oh, after, they did, yeah, <laughs> uh, because you know this land was purchased under Thomas Jefferson, yeah, uh, and partly it wasn't. There was a lot more than this, but also it helped out a lot because. The U.S. had seen a massive population boom oh, for yeah. the first twenty or so years of mm-hmm. the eighteen hundreds mm-hmm. uh, by 
I don't know the exact numbers. I think it was around 20 million people in yeah, about 20 or 30 years, mm-hmm. which back then, I mean, that was a lot. We don't think about that being a lot now, but, right. but still with limited space, mm-hmm. you know, he buys this and then boom, you've got, like you all said, all those resources. Mm-hmm. It's literally doubled the size of the country. Like that's a pretty, right. if you want to like intimidate your uh, neighbors, quote unquote, you know, the Europeans and just kind of say, hey, I'm independent now. That's a pretty good way to do it, honestly. Definitely. Because, you, yeah, you definitely made a name for themselves, yeah. you know, with this. And I think it's important to note. Now, like I said before, westward expansion was is kind of ingrained to the American, you know, ideology, even at this time. But it's I think it's important to note that this kind of started the movement, if you will, of uh, large-scale westward expansion. So, like I said before this, you still had people moving west all the time. Yeah. But at this point, you were like, Hey, th- this ideal, like I said, that, that term was coined, you know, not too long after this, you know, in the 1840s of Manifest Destiny. Like, well, we we have the right, the God-given right to spread and continue to settle this land. And so that's what they did. That's what yeah. they continued to do. And so that, that was heavily, you know, heavily affected at the time. But definitely the Lucy Purchase definitely goes in that. So as we're moving through time, that was 1803. Skip forward a few <clears> years, uh, you know, more states are joining the union. You kind of get some stuff going on. So Dylan, why don't you tell us about uh, one of these compromises that I said we were going to touch on today? Uh, I guess we can start with uh, the Missouri compromise. Sure. Sounds good. So correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that the Missouri compromise, part of that came about because of the Louisiana purchase. Exactly. They acquired all this new land and it was basically like, Okay, which and this argument that is happening with this compromise pretty much happens throughout the rest of the century. But uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, we have all this land. Uh, how are we going to admit new states? Mm-hmm. It's a balance between free states and slave states. Exactly. Because exactly what it was. all the free states didn't want there to be more slave states and them have more representation and then exactly. vice versa. So under the Missouri Compromise, uh, it basically stated that – it, it allowed Missouri into the union as a slave state mm-hmm. and uh, it admitted Maine as a free state because at the time there was a balance of, I believe it was 11 free and 11 slave That's states. Right. Exactly. So they didn't want to admit just one slave state and then it'd be off yeah. balance. So they're like, okay, we'll do one of each. So they had 12 and 12 now. Yeah. Uh, and also as a way to kind of further solidify the compromise, I guess, uh, it also stated that they would not allow any slavery uh, any further north of the 36-degree 30, latitude line, which is, mm-hmm. I was looking on a map, it's basically now anywhere other than Missouri, anywhere north of like what is now Arkansas, Arkansas Oklahoma. Oklahoma, which was yeah. then the Arkansas Territory. Right. right. Uh, yeah. That's very important. Missouri was the only exception to that rule under yeah. this, under this uh, compromise Missouri Compromise, uh, Compromise of 1820, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, uh, it. Uh, you're right, Missouri entered as a slave state and Maine as a free state. So that kept your uh, your your numbers in the Senate equal, equal representation, yeah. right? So you, Which we still see people, that's still an argument or a fight today is, you know, equal between like Democrats and Republicans. It's like, okay, oh, sure. who's controlling more of what? Oh, sure. It's kind of the same thing. And But at this time, you see- In a way you see a lot of the, these ideologies for the first time. I get to this sooner. Uh, I mean, sooner I get to this later <clears throat> in the podcast talking about this, but you see this idea of uh, sectionalism, which if you haven't heard of that, that's basically the, the idea of uh, we, we went in America from 
this party versus this party, maybe the Democrats versus the Whigs. So you're going from that to North versus South kind of thing. Yeah. You see that for the first time right here. Uh, of course, you see it before this. The North and the South were having troubles. Yeah. Up until like when the country was like brand new, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, I, I think that's important to know. So you're right. It created the 3630 line. Uh, and uh, they were like, you know, no slavery above this. Under this, it's it's free gain. In in regards to the Louisiana Purchase, that is. Yeah, and I believe prior to this compromise, they had already actually drawn the lines and admitted Louisiana as a slave state. I don't mm-hmm. think that was part of this compromise. It wasn't. It wasn't. But that uh, has already that had already happened. Yeah. So Louisiana had even the, mm-hmm. you know, eleven to eleven mm-hmm. slave versus free states. So they did that, uh, and I think it's pretty cool. You just mentioned was talking about. Even pretty much from the start, you almost see North and South yeah. kind of sectionalism, button heads. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's very interesting because, like, you're looking at, even at this time, still a pretty brand new country. Very. And I feel like it's any other kind of look at any, like any kind of friendship or, like, relationship. Or yeah. It's like you throw all these people together and they've all got different ideas and they've never, I mean, we're starting a new country. It's like, what do you, there's no yeah. <laughs> rule book for that, you know. Right. And, Tempers uh, are going to flare. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, so it's gonna I don't happen. know. It's, well, I'm sorry. You go no, it's okay. I was, I, I've got a quote here that oh, I'd like okay. to read about the Missouri Compromise. So you think about this, this is 1820. This this individual I'm about to talk about seems like he's in a whole different era. Thomas Jefferson is still alive <clears throat> at this point, which seems crazy. He doesn't seem like the Missouri Compromise. You think of Missouri Compromise, you think of lead up to the Civil War. You think yeah. Thomas Jefferson, you think Revolution, obviously. Yeah. Which, to be fair, that's not very far apart. No, when you think about it, it's not as right. far as it seems. Right. Now, he is an el- elderly gentleman at this time, but he's not hes not kicked the bucket yet. Okay? Yeah. So, on March, March the 3rd of 1820, the House passed uh, that Senate version of the of the Missouri Compromise Bill. Okay? And the then-President James Monroe signed it into law four days later. Okay? So, on the 7th. Right? So, uh, in the following month, President Thomas Jefferson, former President Thomas Jefferson, I should say, uh, wrote to a friend, and he said this. He said, quote, the Missouri question, like a fire bell in the night, awakened and filled me with terror. I considered it at once as the nail of the Union. It is hushed indeed for a moment, but this is a reprieve only, not a final sentence. And so Thomas Jefferson saw this compromise as he thought it was going to be the downfall of the Union. Okay. Yeah. And he was like, well, you know, not at this moment, but he was like, I fear that it's gonna. This isn't the last we've heard of it. Yeah. And Thomas Jefferson... What a right. freaking wise man, because he was very right. Well, that's how these, com- you know, they had all these compromises during this time period, mm-hmm. and they were all meant to be these great, you know, wonderful compromises where everybody's happy, but they only made things worse right. they're supposed in, to be in the, the end. Right. They were supposed to be the compromise to end all this strife and make peace. Between. But I think it, every single one of them they ever passed, I think it all only made it worse. You're right. Yeah. Like, by the time it was all said and done. <laughs> kind of drove a spike. Yeah. Farther and farther before. So there's a Missouri Compromise. And that's kind of the first big quote unquote compromise, if you want to say, that leads up to this period in American history. Okay? Yeah. So moving forward with this on the timeline, next thing that we get to uh, is we talk about Texas. Okay. So at this time, uh, Texas was uh, the land known as Texas now was a part of the uh, Mexican uh, continent, not continent, Mexican control is under their control. Right. Yeah. And so Texas actually declared their independence as a independent nation, the Republic of Texas, right? From Mexico on, on, uh, I believe it was March the 2nd of 1836. Right. And so, uh, 
immediately, actually after this, the, the governor or, or president, however you want to say at this time, was the one and only Sam Houston, right? So, yeah. So he was he was in control of the Republic of Texas at the time, right? And he immediately got these people and applied to be uh, annexed by the United States that next year. So America turned them down. Okay. So, okay. So I didn't know that. Let's let's talk about that because that's very interesting. Yeah. So not a lot of people knew that they applied and got denied the first time. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. So um, this was <clears throat> a Texas was going seen as this massive landmass it is it was at this time it still is yeah more importantly to the people who uh, were in the free states it was seen as a massive slave holding land complex okay see what you can just see where that piece of land is obviously texas is in the south right yeah obviously it's below that 3630 line oh yeah it's going to be admitted as a slave state if it's ever brought to the union so the the anti-slavery guys were like, mm, you know, we're not having this. At this time, the abolitionist movement hadn't really taken off, you know, yeah. per se. I mean, there were abolitionists all the way back in the days of the revolution, but still, you know, it hadn't really, the sense that we think of it with like yeah. Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, is that taken off yet? Right. So anyway, that was one of the things that was going on. And two, uh, the, you know, United States didn't want to upset Mexico. Okay. They, that was one of their, uh, uh, not really an ally, like a, like, like a uh, that was their neighbor. You don't want to upset your neighbor. You, you know, they could just come over there and mess you up real good. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know they're yeah. just right there outside the, <clears throat> the fence, right? And so, anyway, so uh, uh, they didn't want to do that. And so they were kind of, took took some time, basically, and to, you know, take all their ideas, their perspective, kind of talk about it, right? And so years passed from that. And... Uh, you had this new president in office at this time, uh, President Tyler. Okay. And so uh, he got with uh, Congress and uh, they wrote up an annexation bill. Okay. And on March the 4th of 1845, President Tyler signed the bill and it narrowly passed both the House and the Senate. Okay. It had to be amended a couple good times before it could get passed. Really. And still then it was very slim. Okay. But it did uh, get passed and the bill was sent to Texas. Uh, Sam Houston read it put it to the vote and it was ratified. Okay. So it was sent back and then signed by, here's the thing to recognize about this president Tyler. Okay. He signed that bill and it was like his last full day in office. Okay. You had a new president coming in. It was James K. Polk. Okay. And so Texas sends back that letter or or back that bill after it had been, you know, uh, been okay. It'd been passed, ratified, whatever you want to say. And that, to this time, the current sitting president was James K. Polk. So it was a whole different president. Ah. But anyway, I uh, sent it back to James K. Polk. He got it on December the 22nd of 1845. And Texas formally joined the Union as the 28th state on February the 11th. Uh, I'm sorry, February the 19th of 1846. And so you see how we've kind of jumped forward in time a little bit here. But this is uh, 1846, right? I'm sorry, 1845. And uh, Texas had just joined as the 28th state. Okay. We go back where we were talking about the Missouri Compromise in 1820. You know, you only got 22 states. So we've, we've, a lot of, a lot of stuff has happened. Yeah. Since then. <laughs> but they've somehow uh, managed to keep everything equal in the Senate. It, this whole time, we haven't talked about this. And we're not, we're not going to touch on it. It's not that big. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not really yeah. in this sense that we're talking about. They, they were able to keep it equal this whole time. It went up 12, 12, 13, 13, you know, 14, 14, you know, slave and free. I mean, so anyway, Texas comes in, and so this brings up something else that happened, okay, in turn. So 
following this, uh, the U.S.-Mexican relations obviously deteriorate. Okay. Yeah, that was kind of a kind of a given, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a few short months later, war would inevitably, if you don't say inevitably, <clears throat> break out between two nations. Okay. So, so this was a relatively short war, if you can say that of a war. It lasted two years. Yeah, it's not ever really touched on that much. I yeah. feel like. And uh, surprise, we're not going to touch on it very much. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's just always kind of mentioned in passing. It's like, oh, yeah, this happened. Right. Right. Anyway, Civil War. This is it's kind of, but, you know, it's seen as a, in my mind, as a stepping stone to the Civil War. Because I'm going to talk about this later, but you see a lot of individuals in the Mexican-American War for the first time that you're going to see take a large role during the American Civil War. Yeah. And so we'll talk about some of those. But for the time being, let's talk about this. Mexico, let's kind of go back in time a little bit, right? Mexico was upset about losing Texas. So in between that time and the war breaking out, this is what happened. The United States actually offered to buy the land where modern day California and New Mexico are. And I kind of talked about this a little bit back on the gold rush episode that I did. Yeah. And so uh, Mexico obviously refused and the United States did what they did best. And they sent troops to occupy the land or the borders. Right. And so they occupied the speed of borders and, uh, on May the 13th of 1848, there was a small skirmish between the Mexican and U.S. forces, and the uh, United States declared war on Mexico at this point. Now, there's a lot to get into. It's actually it's a very yeah. interesting war. There's a lot of things that happen, and there's a lot of research you can do on it if you want to do that on your own, listeners. But for the sake of time, we don't, we don't have the time for that. So let's just say this war lasted two years, 1846, 1848, right? And many individuals that, like I said, we're going to talk about in the Civil War, got their first taste of combat here. So, uh, obviously, spoiler alert for y'all, you guys who don't know, there was a civil war in America. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and so we split in half. And so we're going to talk about some people from uh, who stayed loyal to the Union. Uh, some most notable uh, people here would be George G. Meade. Okay, you think of, when I think of him, you know, I always think about Gettysburg. Uh, you had George McClellan, Army of the Potomac. Uh, you had Winfield Scott Hancock. And most notably, uh, U.S. Grant. Yeah, it's crazy to think like what path or how how things have went if some of these guys mm -hmm. who became known as like you know military geniuses and very mm -hmm. whatever if mm -hmm. they hadn't have had any military experience prior to the Civil War, because oh. you know? yeah. I feel like they probably still would have joined the Civil War as most people did, right? Uh, but I feel like having that experience mm -hmm. probably made it a whole lot easier, right? Of a decision, definitely. You know, it's, I don't know, it's crazy thing. I definitely think that. And so, you know, you go from that side, obviously, and then you jump over to the uh, Confederate side of that, right? And you had generals, uh, sorry, soldiers uh, at this time. Uh, you think of Thomas Jackson, which would later become Stonewall Jackson. Okay. You have Braxton Bragg. Uh, you have PGT Beauregard, short for Pierre Gustave Totant. <laughs> Good old Cajun fella. And then, of course, most notably, Robert E. Lee. Okay. And these gentlemen here are just a short list of all of them who were involved. And a lot of these guys were friends. Yeah. They served together during the Mexican war. Okay. And so that's another aspect you need to think about when you were going into this, these guys, most, most of these guys who were in the higher command knew each other were friends. They went to West point together. They yeah. trained together, you know, and they so, kind of gave you each side a very in depth or like exactly. behind the scenes. Right. It's like they knew how, each other, their how they thought, how they fought, how they exactly, you know, so exactly. But that's just I, I just wanted to touch on that because it to me I see this. I don't know if this is correct if this is a you know correct term to say or not, but I kind of see this as a 
training ground, if you want to say, to the Civil War. Nobody wanted there to be a oh, Civil yeah. War, you of know. Course. But this was, in my eye, I've heard people say that too. It's kind of <clears> see <throat> this as a quote unquote training ground. Like this is where these guys got their first taste of battle. Yeah. You know, I think it was, like you said, nobody wanted war. That's probably pretty right. true. But I think it was pretty inevitable. And especially at this time, we're talking late 1840s. Sure. I think at this time it was probably pretty clear too. Oh sure, I'm sure or a lot more clearer. Right, I'm uh, sure there's a lot of people that, who would make you. That's make, where the country was headed, you know. Right, and I'm sure there are many people who make the argument that it that it was inevitable. And there's, I had a professor in uh, for you know had a uh, civil war class back at Mississippi State, and they were like, civil war is not inevitable, and let's talk about it. And so and basically the whole class was about that. So he would argue otherwise. Okay. So there's there's both sides of that though, and so this is kind of just a stepping stone towards that. All these things that are happening, I see as a slope downward yeah. into the civil war. And, and things just keep happening. Right. They contribute to that. Another, yeah. Right. And so for the next 10 years or so. Right. Exactly. And so, uh, Mexican American war happens. It lasts two years. Uh, but Mexico had ultimately uh, succumbed to the superior U S forces. Most notably, this was not the first time, but this was kind of one of the, one of the first, uh, wars that the U.S. cavalry got their feet wet, if you want to say. And so yeah, it was a very superior cavalry force, and the Mexicans didn't have near the, you know, uh, I don't know what to say, training, you know, or they didn't have quite the the, the number. Anyway, that they succumbed to the troops anyway. The, the United States troops were more well-trained, more well-off, if you will. So uh, the war's over, and there's a treaty signed, just like, you know, about every war that is called the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and Mexico gave up some land. Uh, and this land of covers, course they did. of course they did. Every loser gives up land. <laughs> of right? course we asked for some of that. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, you have modern day Utah, Nevada, Arizona, California, and parts of Texas. Okay. So here's this ideology yet again of manifest destiny. Yeah. It's bringing up its head, right? Yeah. We'll let you get off unscathed but we want some of that land. <laughs> yeah. And this all ties into, we didn't really touch on this earlier, but like uh, going back in the timeline, you were talking about James Monroe. Sure. Uh, and all this deal with Texas and Texas's annexation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, uh, that originally that was, well, it wasn't really Thomas Jefferson's thing, but originally he had set his eyes on Florida, yeah, you know, and definitely. he didn't accomplish that, but James Monroe actually, managed to get Florida mm-hmm. uh, from Spanish control. He did. But in that treaty, he had, or I guess didn't have to, but he did cede uh, Texas to Spanish control or whatever. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, and a lot, that made a lot of people mad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that set this whole path of Texas's annexation and the Mexican-American War. Yeah. Uh, that's what set all that in motion, a lot of it. But mm-hmm. one thing that's worth mentioning is you've probably heard of, like, the Monroe Doctrine. Uh, and... It's basically James Monroe, and he, I think he actually said this in a speech to Congress one day. Mm-hmm. And it was basically telling the whole world, it was like, hey, you know, we basically have our own sphere of influence over here. We're doing our own thing. He's basically, you know, he's like, we're, we're going to expand as far western as we can across the whole co- continent. Right. And anyone who comes over here and tries to stop us. Will be it will be seen as an act of war. Right. We will fight you. Yeah, and, uh, and he was not kidding. <laughs> yeah, and and you can kind of see how that play comes into play here, right here with a whole like uh, control over Texas ordeal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And and that even though he wasn't president anymore, that idea, what became known as the Monroe Doctrine, really stuck around. Oh yeah. For which I mean, in it, in its essence, that is manifest destiny. Oh, definitely. You know, so it I mean, is. that whole it just it stuck around pretty much throughout the century. Yeah. So it's you know. I agree. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. That's a, that's a very interesting concept, Pretty, and, and you're right. That is, in its essence, the manifest destiny, yeah. right? So, Dylan, we got all this new land. This became known as the Mexican Concession, and for the first time in history, the U.S.'s land finally stretches from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Right. So we go from New York to California. Right. You can so do that we, now. We got a bunch of more land, but guess what that means? What does that mean, Dylan? More compromises <laughs> <laughs> to try to figure out what we do with it. You, you are know? correct. So before we move forward to some more compromise, let's talk about this individual, <laughs> David Wilmot. Okay. So this is at the beginning of the Mexican American War. So we're going to turn back the clock just a little bit, 1846. And uh, he introduced this thing in the United States Congress, a bill. I don't know why I said a thing. It was a bill. <laughs> it basically, uh, it was called the Wilmot Proviso. And it's, and it basically, uh, it was David Wilmot's uh, bill and written in the bill. It said, basically we were going to ban, slavery in any territory that would be acquired uh from mexico in the coming war okay? okay so it didn't pass in the house and uh i'm sorry it did pass in the house but it did not pass in the senate because the senate had a southern majority okay yeah at this time at least okay so they had the majority they didn't pass the bill and so this Wilmot proviso uh ultimately failed and, you know, even though it, it failed, uh, this proviso did stir up those same old feelings that we talked about before of sectionalism. So those were yeah. yet again, bubbling to the top, bubbling to the surface. And, you know, North versus South kind of started peeking its head out again. You know, after every compromise, it would kind of go down and then everything would back come up. back, you know. And so the Walt proviso, he, he tried to do a good thing, right? He was like, well, we should ban the slavery, you know, uh, in any of the land that Mexico would be ceded to, you know. Yeah. But they were like, well, obviously that's going to, you know, if you do that, you're going to throw the, the uh, Missouri Compromise out the window, right? Because that 3630 line is way up here, you know, and all that land ceded from Mexico is way down south, right? Yeah. And so that didn't work out for many reasons. The House passed it, like I said, but the Senate just totally threw it out because, like I said, got your Southern majority, right? So anyway. So then, like you said, move forward to that, got all this land. And so what comes of that? More compromise. Yeah, so, that ultimately make things worse. Right. So, Dylan, that brings us to the most famous, I think, of all of these compromises of the era, the Compromise of 1850. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, so the Compromise of 1850 was, it was a collection of five bills. Okay. All rolled up into kind of one thing, you know, to push through. Mm -hmm. And That happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> It was largely the brainchild of Henry Clay, uh, who was the from great Kentucky. compromiser. Yeah, the, he's known as the great compromiser, yeah. uh, and he was a member of the Whig Party. And it, this this compromise was kind of his his brainchild. Though. Yeah, his brainchild. I mean, other people I'm sure had oh they did you know had worked on it, but I think I've seen a lot of him credited with it more often mm -hmm. than anyone else. Sure. So it, it was a collection of five bills, and and it basically. The five things it basically did was uh, it admitted California as a free state. Okay. So, you know, we're talking about we just acquired California and several other would be, you know, future states. Future states, yeah. Uh, 
uh, and they had to do something with them. So they admit California as a free state. Uh, and it drew borders for the new Texas and New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And it actually allowed Utah and New Mexico to decide for themselves if they were going to be mm-hmm. free or slave states. They're like, y'all mm-hmm. can do that. Mm-hmm. And it also included the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, mm-hmm. which basically just, they. I th- in my mind, I feel like they kind of threw that in there to help keep the, the South appeased. The, the South happy. Yeah. Because that basically, uh, as far as I know, I think it basically made it where by law you required to return runaway slaves, right. even That's if they exactly were in a free state. And I think it even put the responsibility of returning slaves on the government. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and it, but it put it in the law. And it, I think it offered might have offered rewards right. uh, for returning free states. So it made it to where. Mm-hmm. You know, people, the idea of that, behind, the idea behind that was people would return any runaway slaves that they found because exactly. they were going to profit or whatever right. off of it. Uh, so let's, let's break that down a little bit, Dylan. So this is 1850, right? You think of a year before this, 1849, uh, out there in the California territory. What do we, what do we always think of the 49ers? Gold you know, rush. The gold rush, yeah. right? And so the gold rush, it caused rapid growth out that way, right? And so usually it took several years for a territory to, become a state, you know, because yeah. you had to have a certain number in your population before you could apply for statehood. Well, a year later, California had enough people and they were like, well, you know, because this influx, everybody wanted to go out there and get the strike yeah. rich on the gold. Right? And they stayed there stayed <laughs> to there. this day. Right. It's still exactly. A very, very highly populated state. Definitely. And so, you know, at this time still, you know, we talked about the Senate was still perfectly balanced. Okay. You had, you had 15 free, 15 slave at this time. Okay. They were able to keep that through it all. Right. So, Anyway, uh, the South didn't want to lose that balance. And so yeah. they came up with this collection of bills, like you said. So let's let's break that down. So obviously, like you said, California was able to enter as a free state. And that kept the North happy. North happy. So it's kind of, you know, give and right, take. Right, give and take. And so this is the first time, you know, uh, you know, th- there's going to be a unbalance of power. Yeah. The North is going to be have the advantage in the uh, Senate now. Right? Yeah. Which people were not happy about. Not happy about. So number two, uh, the ideal of popular sovereignty. That's what you were talking about, Dylan, where those uh, any of the uh, future states that would be made up in the Mexican session, like you said, I believe you said Utah. Utah, New Mexico. Right. And any of the other future ones, yeah. for that matter, would be decided by popular sovereignty. And this basically means like uh, there'd be a popular vote to decide if the state would remain a free state or become a slave state. Yeah, which I find pretty surprising, I guess. I feel right. like the, I feel like they were kind of like... We're gonna let you decide, so people can be mad at you yeah. and not us. If for... you if you notice that, uh, they tend to do that a lot. Yeah, uh, you know when it's like like I don't want to make that decision, so you yeah. can do it. Yeah, <laughs> that happens statewide a lot here in Mississippi. We just voted on that medical marijuana bill. You remember that? Yeah, because they were like, we don't want to vote on this. You guys vote on it, and then we did, and they were like, Nah, get that out of here. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> so anyway, this Dylan, if you want to think about it in this way, this idea of popular sovereignty basically ditched the compromise of 1820 completely because all this land that we're talking about in the, in the yeah. concession is south of that 3630 line. Right. And so they're saying, you know, it's supposed to be all these guys were going to be slave states. Well, now in this bill, it's like, well, you're going to be decided by popular sovereignty. So the Missouri Which compromise, made a lot of people mad. Right. And so the Missouri compromise was thrown out the window at this point. As soon as this bill passed and the gavel was hit, th- that was it. Yeah. So number three, 
which I don't I don't know if you noticed if you mentioned this or not, Dylan. The slave trade. Uh, yeah, I hadn't mentioned that yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, the slave trade had been uh, legal, obviously, in, in D.C. And so they were like, well, we probably shouldn't be selling slaves on the street corners of our nation's capital. So they outlawed the slave trade, but not slavery itself. Yeah, I found that interesting. They're yeah, like, okay, you, you can have slaves, but you can't buy or sell them here. Right. <laughs> yeah, we can't buy or sell them, but we still need people to work in the White House. That's basically – that's, that's Yeah, I mean, that's – yeah, it's like know. we still want them to be here to, to do serve that. us. and Yeah. Right. In the capital, but we you just can't sell them. Yeah, you had to go over, over there across to sell, the river. Yeah. You gotta go to Virginia. Yeah, to that crap. So yeah, uh, that was one of the things. And then obviously, uh, I have here in my notes. You know, Texas gave up a little bit of land. Some of if, if Texas original claims kind of jutted up into modern day Oklahoma and yeah. onward, right? And so they were like, Texas, you need to give some of that. But they did compensate Texas. I don't have the exact amount that they compensated. Yeah, they them. gave us money and stuff for it. But. Right, and so that happened. And then, like you said, the fugitive slave law, which you broke that down already a little bit. That's basically saying if you come to contact with a runaway slave, even if this runaway slave is in Maine. Yeah, even if you find them in a free state. Right. You still have to return them. And yeah. it's your responsibility. And if you can be jailed. If under law. Yeah. Under like, law. Right. And there, there had been, you have to understand, this wasn't the first fugitive slave act. Yeah. There had been several more. This is why this is the fugitive slave act of 1850. Because there had been several more, right? <laughs> And they all failed, right? Because, because, yeah. Because you had this abolitionist movement moving up. And this was the first time, you know, this is where we see the Underground Railroad taking shape. Okay. Yeah. Because they had the, you know, change the game a little bit. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But you could see they put that in there to, you know, keep kind of keep the slave stuff. states happy. Right. I mean, California is free to keep the free states happy. Exactly. Just kind of a <clears throat> give and take. Yeah. That's all. I mean, is. all these compromises, it was just trying to balance the scale mm -hmm. and i don't think any of them ever did no <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> just made it worse yeah uh dylan do you have anything else on the summarize 1850 here i think that's pretty much um, pretty much what you got yeah cool so guys the stage is set feelings are coming ahead because for the last 30 some odd years dylan the north and the south have been trying to compromise and make amends with yeah. each other it's pretty clear it's not working. Right. And they're trying to avoid the slavery question, right? That's what it was called this time, the slavery question, right? So they're trying to put it off. It's not working, right? So this wouldn't last much longer, however, okay? So as we push forward into part two of the Civil War series, we're going to see three things. We're going to see a presidential election. We're going to see secession. And we're going to see the beginnings of a long and brutal war. You're not going to want to miss this. All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and I appreciate you listening at home or in the car or wherever you may be. Uh, if you'd like what you hear, please tell a friend, spread the word about your hopefully favorite history podcast. And remember, you can find us on Instagram at just another history podcast with underscores between each word, where we will post polls, questions, updates, and information on future episodes. Make sure to join us next week at the same time at the same place. Uh, as we have mentioned, next week we will continue on with our mini-series on the Civil War, and that is all for now. We hope to catch you all on the next episode of Just Another History Podcast. And until next time, remember, dive deeper, learn more, and share your love of history. Bye-bye for now.